Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. You know, one of the things that I love is I love memes about how the differences of how men and women view themselves when they look in the mirror. You know, have you ever seen that? This is what men see when they look in the mirror, and this is what women see. Can we come up right there? <laughs> Isn't it true? There, there's something in the male brain that just ignores the fat gut or the little skinny arms. But it looks at that one muscle that is barely visible, and we can't help but stare at it. You know? That's why you will see some men that will wear shirts down to their navel and it looks like a chia pet is popping out of their shirt. Have you ever seen some of those guys? Don't point to them. Don't point to them. But... Or you've seen a guy who wears a really uh, tight t-shirt and, and this is when, when, they wear, when a guy wears a tight t-shirt, this is what he thinks he looks like and this is what he really looks like right there. <laughs> Just got man the love handles and the, the muffin top. That's what they call it, right? But, but, but my absolute favorite meme is this one right here that's going to come up. This is when a man thinks he's kind of like, man, flirting with a girl and checking her out. But this is what he really looks like to the girl. <laughs> creeper. <laughs> Ladies, how many of you guys have one of those creepers trying to like, flirt with you? Like, it was up. You're like, dude, you're, that's you. That's you. <laughs> In a study done by Dr. Stacy Yin Lim Sim of Bowling Green University, they received 161 undergraduate students in this study, and they asked each participant to rate their own level of attractiveness as well as the attractiveness of those who are in the study. They found out that the men's ratings of self-perceived attractiveness were higher than women's ratings. Okay, we kind of knew that. That's not surprising. But here's what was absolutely astounding and what got, where it gets interesting in this study. The, re- the researchers also examined whether the participants' ratings of their own level of attractiveness depended on their view on the other people and how, how they were. And how their own level of self-perceived attractiveness f- affected how they, found, how they looked at somebody else and their attractiveness. And they found out that it, they did. They said, they said men who rated themselves as more attractive were more likely to rate others as more attractive. The conclusion of this study was this. That the more attractive you think you are, it affects the way you see others. You're able to rate others at a, a high rate because you feel secure and unthreatened by them. And what's interesting is this study showed the conclusion was the more attractive you are, you'll affect the way you view people. That science has proven the way we look at ourselves determines our outlook of life. It affects how we look at other people and it'll set the the trajectory of our entire life. This issue of identity that we've been talking about the last few weeks is huge. The question, what do you think you are, has massive implications on your life. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart or within himself, so he is. As a person thinks about himself, that's who they are. We live out what we believe about ourselves. This week in studying for, for this message, I read about a sociological experiment called the SCAR experiment. Have you, have you ever heard of that? This is what it was. In this experiment, they had 10 volunteers. They came in separately. And they had a professional makeup artist put a hideous scar on their face. The idea was that they would go out into the public with a scar. 
with this deformity in their face. And they would record how others treated them. And they would find out if people treated them differently because they had a scar in the face. And after the makeup was done, the person was given a mirror and they saw how real, how authentic, how hideous and disgusting this scar looked. And they were told one thing, whatever you do, don't touch the scar. Don't touch the scar at all. And just before they were sent out in the public with a scar, they were told there was one minor little adjustment that needed to be made. And the makeup artist came, and without them knowing, they removed the scar completely. And these people went out into public, and they thought they had this hideous scar in their face. And then these ten volunteers would come back at different times, and they would report about their experience out in public. And what they consistently found was that people were more rude to them. People weren't as kind to them. One of the common comments that almost every one of them said that they kept staring at the scar. Every, almost every one of them said they kept staring at the scar. But unknowing to them, the scar wasn't there. But they thought it was, so they believed it was. They were looking through life through the lens of this scar. And, and some of the things that they reported said they were more embarrassed in public. They were more self-conscious around other people. They looked down more often. Even though it wasn't true that they had a scar, they lived life like there was a scar in their face. And here's the big idea this morning. What you believe is, tr what you believe is true, even if it is not, has power over you. Let me say that again. What you believe is true, even if it is not, has power over your life. Zig Ziglar said this, you cannot consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent to the way that you see yourself. So this morning, I want us to learn from a man whose insecurities caused him to view his life in a way that sabotaged God's incredible plan for your life. And so many times, if we're not careful, the way we view ourselves can stop the very thing God wants to do in our lives. And I believe this message is for you. I believe the way you view yourself needs to change this morning. So let's pray before we get into his word. Jesus, just say, Jesus, let me see myself. Not through my insecurities, but through your word. You know, I mean, there's some of you, Lord, I, I need to hear this, this message. Just raise your hand if you need to hear this, this message. I want to pray for you. Jesus, you see all the hands that are going up this morning, Lord. Change the way we think about ourselves to be according to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So let me tell you about this man. His name was Saul and he was the first king of Israel. And Israel was God's chosen people. God had chosen a nation in the world that would show forth his love to the entire world. God told Abraham that he would have a great family, and out of that family would become a great nation, and that nation would be set up, and he would bless them so much so they could be a blessing to the world, and the entire world can know that there is a God in Israel. And Israel was set up this way. They were set up to be what was called a theocracy. God was supposed to be their king. And if the people obeyed God and they followed his instructions, God would bless them. He would annihilate their, their enemies. But if Israel disobeyed, God would discipline them, and he would give them over to their enemies until they repented and cried out to God again. But what happens is Israel no longer wanted to be dependent on God. They wanted to be like all the nations. And they said, give us a king that would rule over us. They wanted to be identified with a king and not with God. So they asked God 
to give them a king and God granted their request. But let me, let me just say this. How many of you know it's not always a good thing when God gives you what you want? If God's not always answering your prayers, it's a good thing because he doesn't want to give you what you want. He wants to make you into the image of his son, Jesus. So if there's unanswered prayers and there's things going in your life, maybe God is trying to make you into his image and thank God that you don't have what you want right now. That's another message altogether, but I just need to share and talk with that all. But if you're not getting what you want, it's a good thing that God is working in your life. Because the Bible says in Romans 1, that the sign of God's judgment on a life is he gives them over to their desires. Okay? You don't want to listen to me. You want to do what you want. Go for it. Y'all want to make you feel bad. But if you're feeling bad all the time and God's convicting you, it's a sign that God's working. And that's a great sign in your life. So let's pick up the story in Psalms. I mean, in First Samuel chapter 9 verse 15 of Saul. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. God tells the most trusted prophet of the day, Samuel, that he has chosen Saul to be the ruler of his people. In verse 17, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. He will be king. Samuel then invites Saul in for dinner. And they're having dinner, and he gives them the most amazing news he had ever heard. He says, Saul, guess what? God has chosen you. He has a plan for you. You're going to deliver them from the Philistines, and you're going to rule over God's people. You will be the king. And notice how Saul responds. Look at verse 21. Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? And this is so important. Why do you say such a thing about me? I want you to notice it's so important. When God spoke a word, the most trusted prophet of the day spoke a word over Saul. Saul didn't hold on to the word of God. He pointed to his insecurities. He pointed to his failures. He pointed to his issues. And he gave a whole bunch of excuses. And I want you to see Saul identifies himself with his past. With his family issues. He says this. Am I not a Benjamite? Am I not from the smallest tribe of Israel? He identified himself with his insecurities. Hey, not only are we from the smallest tribe, but my family, my clan is the least of all the clans, the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Saw, Saul saw himself from his perceived insecurities rather than the word of God spoken over him by Israel's most trusted prophet. And he allowed his insecurities to define him. And here's what I want you to let you know, Freedom Church. All of us have insecurities. It's how we deal with our insecurities that determine what God can do in our lives. And many, questions, many Christians allow their past mistakes, their family issues, and their insecurities to define them. And many of you this morning, as I was praying, I feel like God wants to do amazing things in your life. He wants to call you out into your purpose. But what happens is your insecurities and your struggles and your issues will keep you from fulfilling God's plan over your life. And for many of you, it's the voices of your insecurity, the voices of the issue, the voices of the past, the voices of the hurt that are in your head. And God is calling out to you, but you can't get over it because you find yourself trapped like Saul in insecurities. God has spoken to you clearly, but your insecurities and your issues speak another word. 
And I just feel this is for some of you. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes right now. Lord, right now, in the spirit, I just feel there's this tension. Lord, like, like Sonia was saying today, Lord, in that word you gave to her. Lord, there are people that you've spoken over. But Lord, insecurities are stopping the plan of God. Right now, I pray they would be broken in the name of Jesus. Right now, Lord, as I preach, Lord, I come to you in the spirit realm, Lord God. And I say, Lord God, break it and set your people free this morning. Amen. Amen. So let, 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 let's, let's read this story. As our story continues, Samuel calls all of Israel together. He's about to make the biggest announcement in the history of Israel. He's about to announce a brand new king. But they can't find him. It's like being late to your own wedding. How many of you guys know somebody to be late to your own wedding? 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 21 says this. They looked for him and he was not to be found. Can you imagine this? All of Israel's there. The biggest day of his life. He's about to be the king of Israel. And they can't find him. Like where is he? Where's Waldo, right? So, so look what they did. They prayed. They inquired again of the Lord. And they said, Lord, is there still a man? To come? And the Lord spoke. This is what this, and the Lord said, the scripture says, Behold, he's here, and he has hidden himself among the baggage. Circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, baggage. See, the biggest moment of Saul's life is upon him, and he's hiding in the baggage. And here's the first thing I want you to know. Your baggage will stop you from stepping in from everything God has called you to be. Baggage from your family issues, baggage from abuse, baggage from a divorce, baggage from broken trust, or reckless words spoken over you in anger, baggage from past failures and mistakes and attempts to do what you thought was right. And every one of us in this room has baggage. It's part of living in a broken world. This is how we pick up baggage. Somebody comes to you that you love and you cared about, and they call you dumb. Or stupid. Maybe it's a teacher. Oh, you're so stupid. You're like, this person's no good at math. You're never going to amount to anything. You're going to get bad grades all your life. And you start saying, oh, I could never do this. I could never do this. You could never do this. And because somebody spoke a word over you, you feel your whole life is trapped in the baggage. Or a parent maybe called you lazy. Oh, you're lazy. You're good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. You're dumb. And, 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 and you want to go ahead and you, you want to do well in life. But every time you hit a wall, you hear that voice, you pick up that baggage. And you're no good for nothing. You're lazy. You'll never amount to anything. And you carry it all through life. Or maybe there's a close friend in your life that you guys were tight. Did life together. But then all of a sudden, they called you annoying. And they started making up all kinds of lies. And they said, nobody likes you. Now you believe nobody wants to be your friend. You're like, man, they told me nobody likes me. They said I was annoying. They said nobody. And you see everybody with friends, everybody with relationships, everybody with connections, and you wonder, nobody cares about me. I'm annoying. Nobody wants to be my friend. And we just walk through life, and we carry all this baggage with us everywhere we go. Maybe somebody called you a problem. Maybe somebody called you shy or awkward or weird or ugly and the baggage began to define you and now you carry it with you to every relationship, every job, every situation that you're in. And here's the thing. You can even pick up baggage from something positive that's said about you. 
maybe somebody told you, man, oh, you're an athlete. You're an intellectual. You're an entrepreneur. You're funny. You're creative. You're beautiful. Now you feel this immense pressure. Every time you come, you got to be funny. You got to be creative. You got to be smart. You got to be a hard worker. And, and you pick up all this baggage. Because all these people have said all these things about you. And, and you find yourself, you're walking through life with all these things that people have identified you with. Does anybody relate to this? We become so weighed down with the opinions of others, with the expectations of others. But you know what I love about this story? One thing that is absolutely amazing about this story. When God sees Saul, he doesn't see the baggage. He sees a king in him. Look at verse 22. And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. God sees a man hiding in a baggage and says, you know what? There's still a king here. you got to call him out of where he's at. There's a king in this place. And God calls you to drop the baggage that has been holding you down all those years. He says, I don't care what they said about you. I don't care what failures you have. I don't care how you feel inadequate. Drop the baggage and step out into your destiny. Step out into your purpose. Step out into who I called you to be. See, as Christians, let me tell you something. We shared about this a little bit last week. As Christians, we're in Christ. And when God sees us, he doesn't see our issues. He sees his son, Jesus. He doesn't see your failures. He sees his grace. He doesn't see your inability. He sees his all-sufficiency. He doesn't see your lack. He sees the resources of heaven. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the mighty cross of Jesus Christ. And what God did for you is bigger than anything that was done to you or anything that you ever did. But I want you to notice how immediately after Saul is pronounced king by Samuel, that Saul begins to hear other voices. Because here's what I know. When God has spoken a powerful word over your life, the enemy will always send a counterattack of a false word over your life. Look at verse 27. But some worthless fellow said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and they brought him no present. When there was a new king, you're supposed to present gifts towards him and they brought nothing. And there are these two voices in Saul's head. One is God through the prophet Samuel says, you are a king. And another one is doubt through these men saying, how can you save us? And what I've learned in life is this. Competing voices will always affect your sight. Some of your par parents can relate to this. I can't tell you how many times I've been driving down the road and my girls start fighting in the back of the car. It gets so loud. They start screaming and fighting. It's like World War III broke out. And, and parents, can I tell you something? They don't stop fighting when they get older. <laughs> I wish it was true, but it doesn't. It just gets louder. <laughs> so every once in a while, there's fights in the back of the car. And it's crazy. And I find myself yelling at them. And I say, stop it, girls. I'm driving. I'm going to get in a wreck right now because I can't see. Stop it. If you don't stop screaming, I'm going to wreck it. And then I think to myself, what does the volume of their voices have to do with my sight and my ability to see? 
But have you ever been there? You get mad at your kids and I'm going to get in a wreck. I can't see. Stop it. <laughs> but what is true of driving your kids is also true spiritually. What we hear can affect what we see. And the moment Saul becomes king, haters come out. They're drinking haterade. They're throwing shade up on that homie. Haters going to hate, right? But I like what the writers call, the, the writer of Samuel calls these men worthless fellows. Say that, worthless fellows. There's always going to be some worthless fellows who are going to try to speak death into your God-given purpose. And when those voices come, you just have to send that voice, that message to voicemail. You got to slide that message into the DM. You got to open, but don't reply. Because there's always going to be two voices in your head. One is the voice of God, and the other is the voice of the enemy through some worthless fellow. And in our story, the voice of God looks at a man hidden in the baggage and says, You're a king. You're a deliverer. Stand up and walk in your purpose. But the voice of the enemy says, how can this man save us? And here's the challenge. Here's the process. Here is the big thing. We gotta, how do you tell the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice? Because here's what I know. Both voices will speak to our issues. So it's easy to confuse the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. But here's how you tell the difference. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your issue. God knows your issues, but calls you by your name. There's still a man here. Call him out. He's still a king. The devil starts with who you are and what you've done, and he'll beat you up for it. God starts with the declaration of what he's making you in Christ, and he grows you up into it. The devil whispers, you're a failure. You're guilty. You don't have what it takes. You'll never be enough. Nobody likes you. He brings up your mistakes and the failures, and he'll remind you of all your inadequacies. That's why the book of Revelation says he's the accuser of the brethren. But God starts with who he declared you to be. You are in Christ. You are my beloved. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You are a son of God and you are a king. You are heir to everything that I have. And we say, but God, I'm none of those things. And he says, you will be because my spirit is in you. There's a down payment to that inheritance and I am going to finish the work in you. But the unfortunate thing for Saul in our story is he allowed his insecurities and the voices of others to drown out the voice of God. And that is the tough thing. Can I be honest with you? This is where most Christians mess up. Their insecurities, their failures, their inadequacies drowns out the voice of God. I just feel in my presence, I feel right now, I feel the presence of the Lord saying there are some people in this room that your issues are drowning out the voice of God. It's dangerous. Because look what happens to Saul. Let's pick up the story in chapter 15, verse 11. It says, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, Verse 12, I, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced 
myself and I offered burnt offerings. Let me tell you what happens here. Saul was so concerned with people's actions and opinions that he stepped out of his calling and his purpose. God had called him to be a king. But he, right here, he stepped out of that and he acted like a priest. And God gave strict orders for sacrifices. He said only priests in the Old Testament had the authority to make sacrifices, not kings. God had given a specific order on how he would be worshipped. And because everything was taking place and because the Bible says this, he saw that the people were scattering. He allowed the opinions of people and the actions of people to allow him to step out of what God called him to be, to do something that he shouldn't be, to try to act in a way that he shouldn't act, to go into venues and, up and go into places that God had no, he had no business going into. And that stopped God's plan for his life. See, and because of that, he didn't listen to God. He disobeyed God. And God was angry at Saul. And Samuel confronted him about his sin. And he said, Samuel, Samuel told him, Saul, because of your disobedience, the kingdom's going to be ripped from you. You disobeyed God. You failed. If you'd have just waited, if you would have just wanted to honor God. And, and you say, why was God so mad at him? Why would God be so petty and take the kingdom from him? See, our, it's not, our, our sins don't really bother God. He died on the cross for us. God was never mad at the, the adulterer or the leper or the people. God, you know what God's biggest sin is? Pride. Pride leads to people pleasing. That people, that sometimes we care more about what people think than what God thinks. And this is exactly what happens with Saul. And I want you to see how deep people pleasing was inside of Saul. Look at his response. Look at his response to Samuel. When Samuel responded to him in verse 30, he says this. Then I said, I, I know I've sinned. I know I've sinned. I've sinned. Yeah, honor me. Honor me, God. Before the elders of my people. God, I know I've messed up. I know I messed up, but honor me before all of Israel and return with me so that I can bow and worship the Lord. Was he really sorry? No. It's amazing Saul is more consumed with what others think about him rather than what God thinks about him. He says, honor me before the elders. His repentance was just a political ploy that, because he could save face as a king and walk with the most trusted prophet. He wanted to look good in front of the people. And if you don't deal with your baggage, you will end up pleasing people all your life. People pleasing is a serious disease that will destroy you spiritually. It'll rob you of God's blessing. It'll cause you to step out of God's plan for your life. Why? Why is people pleasing so bad? Because of one thing. You care more about what people think than what God thinks. Proverbs 29, 25 said, is, dangerous, is it a dangerous trap to be more concerned with what others think of you more than God? If you're always worried about what people think of you, you'll miss God's plan for your life. Just think about it. The most influential people in our culture today. The most influential people in our culture today. Half the people hate them. Our president, Donald Trump. There's some of you that hate him. There's some of you that love him. But nobody can deny his impact on the nation. People hate him or they love him. I think of LeBron James. The greatest basketball player in the world. People either love him or they hate him. In Los Angeles, they're going out there. They're defaming his image or they're loving LeBron James. Since some people spend their entire lives trying to please people. Let me tell you how you know you're a people pleaser. If you know how many followers you have on Instagram, you're a people pleaser. 
If you know how many posts, how many likes your last post has right now, you are a people pleaser. And so many of us care so much. We put so much time, so much energy setting up our Instagram, setting up our Facebook, setting up our social media accounts to see what people think about more than we spend with God. We want people to look good and look favorable about us. Some people spend their entire lives pleasing someone they'll never please. A parent, a boss, a friend, an ex-girlfriend, an ex-spouse. Let me tell you something that will set you free. If they aren't pleased with you by now, they'll never will be. Quit wasting your time trying to please them and start living a life to please God because God is the only one whose opinion really matters anyways. Because when we allow people to identify us, here's what I know, it'll lead to a life of misery. 1 Samuel chapter 16 says, that because of this attitude of people pleasing and, and his heart began to be full of bitterness and anger and jealousy. All this disease came because of people pleasing in his heart spiritually. And the Bible says this. He was tormented by evil spirits. And the only time he found relief was when a shepherd boy by the name of David came to the palace and he played his harp onto the Lord. And many people are like Saul today in the church. They feel good and encouraged when they're in the church service and worship when we're saying mighty cross. That's awesome. But the minute they walk out, that the minute they get back into the real life, the minute Monday comes, torment happens. They begin to be tormented with all these things. Man, we have liberty and peace while we're in church. But the moment we walk out, we go back into a life of torment. But let me tell you, you can have peace on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just at 11 o'clock, but all day long because God God wants to be your God. But we find ourselves like Saul. I need to come to church because I feel good in there. Oh, but the world, oh, Monday is crazy. Oh, it's crazy out there. It can be crazy out there, but it can be good in here. Why are we tormented? Because we're not happy in life. You're consumed by all the things you don't have, why life hasn't turned out the way you want, why all these things aren't taking place. You're just thinking about me, me. The, I mean, can I be honest with you? The most tormented people are the most insecure and selfish people. You're just thinking about yourself. And this is what Saul was self-absorbed. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 12 says he set up a monument in his own honor. And let me tell you this. You are not worth your life. You're not all that. And so many times we want to live our lives just worshiping ourselves, living for ourselves, caring for ourselves. But I'm here to tell you, you are not worthy of worship. But there is one who split the heavens, who came from eternity into humanity, died on a cross and shed his blood. And he is worthy of your worship, your life, your time, your talent, and your treasure. His name is Jesus Christ. Trying to please yourself will always lead to disappointment. Selfishness is the number one reason that you're depressed right now. Why am I down? My career isn't going well. My husband don't like me. I hate my life. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I don't have any friends. Can I just be honest with you? All those are self-absorbed thoughts. Me, 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 me. And when we're self-absorbed, we fall into a comparison trap. We look at everybody else and we wonder why life's going good for them and not for us. And here's the third thing that we find out that destroyed Saul's purpose was comparison. Instead of focusing the blessings that God had given him, King Saul, 
the king of Israel. He, he was the least of the clan, focused on what he didn't have. And his insecurity really showed up when this young shepherd boy by the name of David came on the scene and he killed a giant by the name of Goliath. And people sang this in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. They sang out, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Wait, but they're still singing about you, bro. An entire nation is calling out your name. Man, and so many times we look at what everybody else has and we forget what God has given us. Let me tell you this. Comparison, jealousy, and envy come when you stare at someone else's blessing rather than thanking God for everything that he blessed you. And the reason that many of you guys are down, the reason that many of you guys are jealous, and the reason that many of you are tormented, you keep looking at everybody else and their life and their family in their career, in their job, in their situation, instead of just raising your voice and saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Amen. Thank you. And that was the challenge here. David was the king. They were still singing his name, but he caught up, got caught up in comparison. Andy Stanley says, when we compare ourselves to others, we live in the land of Ur. And when you live in the land of Ur, you will either feel inferior or superior to other people. Because here's the thing when you live in the land of Ur. There's somebody with a bigger Ur than you all the time. Someone who is richer, skinnier, smarter, prettier, happier, healthier, handsomer. That's even a word. <laughs> and when you compare yourself to them, you'll always feel inferior around them. And on the flip side... There are some people on the other side of the land of Ur where you look at them and they're heavier, they're poorer, they're slower, they're uglier, they're dumber. And when you compare yourself to them, you'll feel superior to them. And if we're not careful, we live in this tormented place called the land of Ur. Up one day, down the next. And I just want you to notice it was all these unresolved issues, baggage, People pleasing, comparison that prevented Saul from walking into his full purpose and destiny as the king of Israel. But after Saul, God had called God's people and he wanted to establish a nation and he wanted them to rule. Because when Saul could not lead them, he rose up another king, a king by the name of David. And out of the son of David would come the true king of Israel, Jesus. And out of Jesus, he'd bring salvation to the entire world. And we find out from this king that followed Saul named David, we found out how David dealt with the baggage, issues, and insecurities in a totally different way than Saul did. And we find out because David had his own baggage. When, God, when Samuel came to call him to be king, Samuel was there and his father, Jesse, called every one of his sons but him. He was lost right there taking care of sheep. So he had baggage as well. But here's how... David dealt with his baggage. Here how you can overcome your insecurities. First thing is you believe what God says about you. This is what David did. He says, Lord, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalms, David says, who am I, Lord? But instead of pointing to his insecurities like, like Saul, he says, Lord, who am I? That you, God, are mindful of me. Who am I that the creator of the universe cares for me? Who am I? I believe what you say about me, God. 
He allowed the voice and the word of God to define his life. And because of that, God used him in a powerful way. When Israel was facing its biggest challenge, a giant by the name of Goliath that was threatening to wipe out all of Israel, they were running in fear. David stepped out and against, once again reminded them who they were. Because at that time, they had, remember, they, had, they were called to be a theocracy. Man, identified with God. But they wanted to be identified with the king. So that, the Bible says that Goliath called them, you servants of Saul, send somebody that would fight me. And they ran and they ran. But there was a shepherd boy by the name of David who, in one of my favorite verses, he says in 1 Samuel 17, 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that she should defy the armies of the living God? We aren't the servants of Saul. We're the armies of the living God. And I don't know if you've read the promises of God, but Exodus 23, 23 says this, that God will oppose my enemies and my enemies will be his enemies. And if God says that, I believe that. That settles that. I don't care how big you are. My God is bigger. And he stepped out into that field and God knocked him out. Because there was a man that was identified with the word of God and not with the voices. And if you're going to overcome your baggage and your issues, you must believe what God says about you. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. The lie is you're alone. The lie is you're a failure. The lie is you're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough. The lie is you can never do it. The truth is this. In Christ, you are blessed. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are loved. And in Christ, the fullness of the power of God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. And God is with us. Who can be against us? Do you realize, Freedom Church, God's Spirit is in you. He can overcome everything, every issue, every struggle, every addiction. The Spirit of God, the one who raised Christ from the dead, lives in you. You believe that? The second thing David did is he lived to please God and not people. The Bible called him a man after his own heart. His number one priority was to please God. And I've learned in life, I can't please everybody, but I can please God. And sometimes following God means I have to disappoint people. I want you to think for a moment. Like when God is big in our lives, people have less power over us. And the reason we care so much about what people think about us is because God is too small in our lives. People pleasing says this, man's approval is more important to me than God's approval. But what happens with the gospel is the gospel puts our attention on the approval we have in Christ. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God is pleased with me and I have God's approval and that's all I need. And even God's approval is there when I mess up. Because both Saul and David messed up. But David's sin was much more worse. It was much more horrific than stepping outside of his car. You know what David did? David committed adultery and murder and lies. He had the biggest scandal in all of Israel. And a little prophet by the, Nathan, by the name of Nathan went into David, pointed his bony little finger at him and says, you have sinned against God. And when David hears that, he breaks. He repents. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 17 says he goes into his household and he stood up on the ground and he started to cry. And he started to cry and the elders tried to get him up and he would not eat any food with them that he was just weeping. The elders are saying, Suffer, you're king. You're not supposed to act like this. He says, man, get away. You didn't make me king. God made me king and I sinned against him. I'm sorry. And he wept and he wept and he cried and he cried. 
He didn't care what the elders thought about him. He cared what God thought about him. And in Psalms 51, we hear his prayer. Look how beautiful it is. He says, God, he says, first because of sins, can see you and you alone have I sinned and done right, evil in your eyes. And then you hear the heart of his, heart of God in him. Cast me not away from your presence. And Lord, please take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit, God. He says, God doesn't ask to keep his kingdom. He doesn't ask what the people say about him. He doesn't say, help me look good in front of the elders like Saul did. He says, cast me no wife from your presence. He says, God, I've had the kingdom and I've been in a field of nothing but sheep. And I realize, God, that the kingdom and the money and the stuff doesn't make me happy. But God, only in you I'm happy. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And Lord, I can't live without it. David knows that only God can give him ultimate joy. And here's the final thing we learn from David. We can only find joy in Christ. Only in Christ can we find joy. Can I be honest with you? The reason we compare ourselves to others and get jealous and envious of them is because we look for ultimate joy in the wrong things. We get envious when somebody has nicer clothes, a nicer house, a nicer job, a nicer car than us because our joy is in materialism. Our joy is in success. Our joy is in stuff. There are people that get jealous because someone has a more loving husband or a better behaved kids. Or they just have, they look like they're happier because their joy is in their family. See, jealousy and envy, they say two things about your life. They say the thing I find joy in isn't as nice as yours and they say Jesus is in my joy because if Jesus is your joy there's nothing more precious than him you'll never be jealous you'll never be envious and you'll stop comparing yourself to others that's why David wrote in your presence there's fullness of joy and my question to you this morning is this, have you ever had an experience with God's presence like that where you say, God, as I come into your presence, Lord God, everything that I've ever wanted, I found in you. Christianity is very much a taste and see faith. It must be experienced. Have you ever had an experience where your heart is so filled with unspeakable joy and deep desire to follow God that nothing else matters? You can. And it's available for you. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.